0: Hi! Just a warning before we start this, um, Adam audio in this episode is super weird and not great. That said, I tried my best to make it not a problem, but, yeah, just in case, bad, bad audio, sorry, um, we it probably should be fine, it should be listenable, but still, just noting that. Okay, enjoy the episode!
1: Hey, are you aware of the Pamela Anderson Vohr video? Welcome to the 2000s. I hate
0: this town. I hate this
2: fucking town. This town. This
0: town. Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. I am, as always, Elaine, and I me there is a surprising number of human beings today. Who wants their hot pussy It's Sybil! Okay, we have Adam back?
3: Uh, we you do have Adam back. Hello everyone, it's been a while.
0: Welcome back, Adam. How's hell been? Um... I assume you came back from hell like Dean in Supernatural.
3: Well, oh, that's insulting.
0: Well, it's, it's <laughs> the coolest one in the show.
3: I... I guess Kaskiel
0: is the coolest one, but you know.
3: This is Objectively, yes. Um... <laughs> we'll I like how... how recording in the new dorm goes.
1: I like how Ellie's getting sassy about Supernatural when she isn't even watching the new spinoff.
0: I don't care about
1: their... Parents.
4: <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. I just, just don't care. We have a guest. We have a guest. Please introduce yourself, guest. We
4: have a guest, yeah. Hi, I'm Max Cohen. Um, you might know me from the Kitchfork Media podcast that I host with Liz Ryerson, which is uh, you know, a bunch of, you know, a couple of women in their mid-30s complaining about feeling old uh, through the medium of Pitchfork reviews. Um, and I'm also a musician in the bands The Garages and Noiseland.
0: I... Highly recommend I don't know if the bit in our Save the Day episode where I recommend the podcast has stayed in because I think it's kind of like an hour of rant <laughs> from that episode. But I highly recommend Kitchfork. It's a really good podcast, especially if someone like me who like listen to a lot of music but doesn't follow a lot of the press. It's like really interesting to read how a lot of that music culturally impacted uh, oh, stuff at the well, time. Thank you. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Uh and today we're here to talk about a very interesting record. We're back talking about Blink One Eighty Two, who are still alive at this point in time in two thousand and three. <laughs> For now, they haven't imploded yet. That's uh, crazy. They're about to. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, everyone got angry because uh, Tom DeLonge went and did his own thing and. Everyone kept doing their own things. That's why they broke up. No, Mark Kopputh didn't. Mark Kopputh just wanted to sing about penis Uh And God bless him for it. He's very good at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's really the
4: highlight of this record when he's singing about yeah, dicks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> this is some of their, I will say, you know, this is a, an album I really wanted to be on. And one of the reasons why is I think it's some of their finest dick songwriting. Oh, it's some of their classiest penis poetry. Absolutely. They've come. They've come a long way from "I want to fuck a dog in the ass."
0: <laughs> this is uh, everyone is a dad by this point in the, their history, and this is their most mature, quote unquote, record, which is an, an interesting listen. <laughs> they've definitely sw- will you know switch up their sound. Mm-hmm. I still think the dick songs are better. <laughs> Spoiler alert: I think I'm the one who liked the, this record least in here. Um. But it's interesting. It's really interesting. What is your uh Max, what is your history with this record? Because I feel like Sybil doesn't listen to music. Adam hey. especially doesn't listen to music.
3: Thanks, Ellie.
0: Yeah, I mean music I I, I get it. Music's pretty played out, you know. <laughs>
3: you, 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 I love music. You I can't spend V Bucks on,
4: on, on records. Um But <laughs> I know no. uh my my history well, you know, like I was what I was maybe like eleven or twelve. When did Enema of the State come out? Um, I was like Anima the right the age. State is uh, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, so I was eleven. I was the right age for Enema of the State when that came out. <laughs> to find all of it extremely funny and great, uh, and so that I, I was, you know, so I I mentioned before I had a chip on my shoulder about emo, but I loved pop punk. You know, I grew up on like Green Day and Rancid and. Um, you know, Enema of the State was one of, like, the first CDs I ever owned. Um, by, but by the time, like, the self-titled came out, I would have been, like, you know, 16, 17, um, like, or no, yeah, 16. Um, and by then I thought I had, like, grown out of Blink-182 already. Um, you know, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was, was good, but, like, uh, it had been, it had been a couple years and um, I, th- I wasn't going to buy it. And then somebody told me Robert Smith was on it. Yeah. And you know, I'm a big, I was a big Cure fan. So I got, so I got it for that. And I, I, it's such a weird album to me because it's such a, a middle ground between this sort of like adolescent pop punk and like the sort of, you know, quote-unquote mature emo post-hardcore stuff um, that I I think a a lot of people didn't like it because it it, it doesn't really go hard on either, but it's the only
0: album I know of that sounds like this. (laughs) That's fair. The production is really weird. I don't know if I'd call it interesting, but it definitely has a particular sound to it. It's extremely odd.
4: And also, like, feeling this is maybe my favorite Blink-182 song. Okay. Um, like that's a song that stuck with me a long time so I don't know I have a lot of affection for this album it was sort of like my my uh, farewell to youth album uh, or farewell to youth as in like farewell to being a snotty adolescent <laughs> um, after this it was all you know radiohead and, and you know hipster bullshit real music real music exactly <laughs> songs that aren't about
2: dicks
3: they make those
4: um Well, you know, they do now.
1: At the time, it was a brand new thing. Can you imagine if they were to do a piano cover of a Blink song
4: on Westworld? I can't. (laughs) I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. I'm surprised we haven't gotten like a... Well, now they canceled Westworld. I'm surprised we haven't gotten the Mad World rendition of feeling
0: this. (laughs) Uh, But no, yeah, this was still a bit lonely for me. As I was saying, my ear of pop punk was like you know, my chemical romance and shit. So it's uh, still a bit years in until I really got into music. By the way, the first record I loved saying this because it's the dumbest shit ever, but the first record that I bought with my own money was uh Corn Unplugged. So that was me at the time. Oh wow yeah that <laughs> was a classic. Uh but yeah I remember seeing this on like MTV and shit. Like the singles from this, um I don't, like, I think, like, they were running, like, the single for this, and they were running, like, older shit, like, from Take Your Pants and Adam of the State, and I feel that, like, seeing the single for this record was what got me into the older stuff, which, of course, I was, like, 11, that was more my speed, um, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, but, yeah, this is the first time for me listening to the record as a whole, and it's an interesting experience, Uh, We were joking on the Boxcar Racer about, like, them saying that it was inspired by, like, Fugazi and stuff. And I don't think Boxcar Racer sounded anything like Fugazi. But I can see it in some things they do on this record. Like, on this record, I can see it more. Like, not one by one, but there's, like, a couple of bits that's like, oh, I can see that, how you might have taken it from them. There's definitely a bit more of a, like, post-hardcore
4: thing. And part of that is also that Tom gets to play more interesting... Yeah. Like patterns on it, and which is like a, a very Fugazi thing, right? Is, is messing with time signatures and rhythms. Yeah.
0: For how much um Tom DeLonge is an enemy of this podcast, I do like the guitar on this. I don't like it singing still. I, I do think there's some good guitar parts on this. I think the guitar is really is really interesting.
4: What I love actually the most about this album is the bass lines are really heavy on like mm-hmm. the seventh degree of the scale, which is like a very unstable note. Um So you keep getting these like really interesting clashes between the bass and the guitar that, you know, usually they're playing in unison on the other albums. And here you're getting these like kind of interesting dissonances that sound like that just tickle my brain in a very like primal way. (laughs) For what it's worth, one of the things they mention about that
1: is a few of these tracks got 50 to 70 layers deep in production between different instruments recorded acoustically and yeah, it seems like they're trying to go with something more complicated on the yeah, production yeah. side. Uh,
0: and I will never give. Uh, I will never not give shit for Blink. For now, they're all like in two thousand and three. They're all like, oh, we love Fugazi. We're inspired by them. While well, in two thousand and like in the in two thousand, they were like, oh fuck Fugazi. We want to make money. I, we we did read a quote. We did read a quote about this on like the, our first episode, and I will still give plenty shit for that.
4: I mean, you can like Fugazi without wanting to charge seven bucks for a ticket, but but I, yeah.
1: Look, everyone's a poser as long as the KLF existed.
4: Right, this is so true. As long as Chombo was still in the, in the scene. <laughs> We listen to music. Travis warms up on his drums for about 45 minutes to an hour. Tom drinks a bunch of wine, and I brush my teeth. That's pretty much the pre-show ritual. Well,
2: actually, the brushing the teeth thing is more of like uh, doctor's orders.
4: (laughs) You know what? I do have a lot of feelings. Back in the day, I used to eat a lot of candy and fall asleep. All right, here we go.
0: Sybil, do we have some history to talk about? We do, and I'm actually
1: going to supplement your notes with some of my own research, because it looks like I trumped you on a few of these.
0: Nice, I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm always excited when you bring shit to the, to the podcast. It's always either incredibly cursed or great. Go for it. Oh no, I
1: think you're going to like this. Uh, when we last spoke about Blink, we were discussing Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, which kept them in the mainstream after the explosive success of Enema of the State. But the last time we talked about the band was not with that record, but in 2002, when Tom DeLonge released the debut Boxcar Racer uh, album and band, a record that was somewhat controversial, and even our own coverage was fraught. While, (laughs) While DeLonge was busy being the least hot member of the band... The only Blink released during that time was The Urethra Chronicles 2. Harder, faster, faster, harder.
0: The Urethra, the urethra Chronicles sound like something that uh, Coheed and Cambria would release without knowing the meaning of the word Urethra.
1: If they were going to say anything like that, it would be The Perennium Chronicles. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The Coheed would accidentally reinvent the cremester cycle.
4: Oh god, they would, wouldn't they? I don't know what those words mean. You're better off. Nobody needs to know about the Cream, Cream masters. I keep
1: trying to see it, but you know, that whole thing where it's basically just a museum piece makes it a challenge. Fun fact if you didn't oh, know. You can you can
4: you can torrent it and it's nothing but like bad ball humor.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. I know what the name means, but I want to see what Bjork's
4: ex-husband did with a camera in one No, hours. I mean that's what the movies are. So I've seen them because you can torrent them because they're you know like fuck the man. Uh, I've seen them, and they're just, they're really bad, like, college art films that are mostly about, te- like, you just look at testicles most of the time.
1: Cool, I know what I'm doing when we're done here. Yeah, there you go. You sold it to them. <laughs> uh, but The Urethra Chronicles too, was a DVD including some live performances, skits, and home movie footage, as well as being the first place where the house wreck video for Stay Together for the Kids appeared. In mid-to-late 2002, Blink went on tour with Green Day, Jimmy Eat World, Cut You Up, and Saves the Day uh, as openers at different points of the tour. Blink headlined and closed every date, which might be an indication of where they were in terms of popularity, but multiple reviews and comments on the tour at the time seemed to criticize this choice as Green Day was considered to outplay Blink. The tour was sponsored by MTV, Xbox, and Xbox. And since Ellie does not know what yuhu is, I'm going to tell you it's basically what happens if you put water in chocolate milk and shove it in a bottle.
4: <laughs> it's very bad. Mm-hmm. Yoo-hoo.
1: Oh God! Yuhu is something that you have to it's come to when bad. you are a child and just kind of coast on it from nostalgia of that. If you try drinking yuhu for the first time as an adult, you are going to go
3: <laughs> probably.
4: Yeah, it just feels like you left some like chocolate milk out. um... I I will say it's interesting to talk about like uh, the idea that Green Green Day opening for Blink One Eighty Two was people like had a fuss about that because Green Day were objectively less popular than Blink at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's going to swap very shortly. Crazy. But yes,
3: crazy. It's going to
4: swap almost immediately after this album. I mean, Blink is not going to exist after this album. <laughs> no, that's true. But also, like. Green Day were seen as basically past their prime when like Warning was out like that like 3 year period between like Warning and American Idiot um and nobody saw like the big revival of American Idiot coming so as far as anybody would be concerned they were like elder statesmen
0: statesmen on their way out we are we we are nearing the review of American Idiot which will be a whole thing <laughs>
3: Oh,
1: boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's probably going to be our second two-parter. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a thing.
0: So excited. I also like, it's interesting that, like, Jimmy it Edward, like, I could see it. They were doing pretty, like, punky rock stuff at this point. Uh, Saves the Day is weird, like, to to imagine them opening. Because by this point, we, we've done their... Uh, Last record, recently, the record they had out this year, and they didn't sound like any of those fans. I mean, have you heard Cut You Up? Uh, No. Well, no, uh, I'm not familiar.
1: I I guess that's probably because no one else here lives in San Diego. But yeah, uh, Cut You Up were basically a failed attempt at growing a green day. (laughs) (laughs) Hydroponically in your own basement. That
3: sounds bad. That sounds bad.
1: Yeah, if you tried to uh, just do an underground Green Day without the cops picking
4: up on you, you'd end up with Cut You Up. Are they named after the the song? Like, what is that from?
2: I don't actually know. such an awkward
4: name. Because I only knew them as
1: local scene idiots who got to tour with some of the biggest bands of the day, because I suspect one of them just knew a member of Blink being local boys.
4: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: Travis Barker would also start his own side project during this time, joining The Transplants, a rap rock group created by Tim Armstrong of Rancid and Rob Astin. Ellie has not listened to this. This is a fascinating butt rock artifact of the 2000s. I forgot about The Transplants until I read this name, and then I immediately remembered two albums worth.
4: (laughs) Okay. Wow. You listened to two albums worth of of The Transplants.
1: I listened to two albums worth of The Transplants.
0: Huh. Do you want to talk to us about it? Or is it too traumatic? Okay, I want you to imagine if Linkin
1: Park got kicked in the head by a horse, that's The Transplants.
0: Yeah.
4: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I literally...
3: So that could either be very good or very bad.
4: I literally only know them from Tony Hawk. (laughs) Yeah. That's also going
1: to play into some of this uh, history, because this is the era where EA Sports started trying to make exclusive soundtrack albums for every yearly release of their games. It was a thing that only lasted for a short time, but... There's an actual early version of Feeling This, which was released as part of the Madden 2004 soundtrack. It
0: was called Action. Yeah.
3: Interesting.
0: <laughs> which is a weird title for the song. I guess. And uh, it's... Yeah, I guess it yeah. sort of makes sense, but, like, they repeat Feeling This, like, four times. It's like, you know...
1: Uh, The production of this album came down to the wire, and it doesn't surprise me that there are some early versions of things that were floating out as a result of that. So during the summer of 2003, the band decided to lock themselves in a mansion and start working on their next record. Literally, they rented a mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, one of the rich parts of San Diego County, and... Alright, I'm just going to take some stories from biographies and interviews from this time. I'm going to heavily grain of salt all of these because I know who's talking about them. Uh, The house was converted into a studio, pay per view pornography was on continuous play, and it included a space to smoke hella weed in the garage. the band was attacking each other, working on three to four songs a day, moving on to the next track when feeling burned out with what they were currently doing. Uh, quoting DeLonge here, this is a direct line, If I wasn't smoking half of Columbia, I probably ran up $3 million in adult film charges. I probably should have just bought a DVD or something.
4: <laughs> wow.
1: The band recorded at the house yeah. until April two thousand, Or got on the internet. <laughs> yeah, the internet was a thing at the time. And the owners of the house... Kicked them out. Okay. <laughs> uh. So, at this point, Barker did not want to leave his house, so he would drive from LA to San Diego every day for these sessions, which I'm sure really helped the mood of the band, and then left that spring to go tour with the transplants, just leaving the band with a bunch of drum tracks to use while he was out. It's great. Real good production. Uh, These... Some of this was posted online, on their official website, as well as on an MTV
4: behind-the-scenes... I remember this very, like, clearly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Special, I guess, uh, before the launch of this record. The recording process eventually wrapped in October of 2003, most of the year, which is kind of wild given that these albums tended to be a three-month process. Uh, jerry finn was back on production for this it was his last i believe time working with the band and barker ironically given that he was going to run off and tour multiple times uh, took more of a driving role in the creative process on this saying that he did not write lyrics he does not play guitar but he mastered the arrangement Deciding what tempo a song would be, how verses, choruses, and breaks happen. And, quote, when I first got in the band, I wanted us to write songs that were more clever and less repetitive, and that is what we did. Also, apparently, Barker decided to bust DeLong's balls because, quote, up until 2002, Tom didn't listen to anything but punk rock. He didn't know Pink Floyd, he didn't know who the fucking Who was. The Who's one of the greatest punk rock bands of all time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Tom.
4: It explains You're... a lot. It does. It
1: explains a lot.
4: Angel and Airwaves happened because he finally listened to you too. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
3: Is uh, that yeah. how
4: it yeah. happened?
1: I... Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned, the first public result of those sessions was action on the Madden 04 soundtrack. And uh, at some point, as a bonus record, We should probably just start looking at some of those EA soundtracks from the 2000s, because they're very weird, and a lot of them contain exclusive mixes that never showed up anywhere again.
0: Yeah, I think we could definitely do like a... You you should prepare it, Fable. We can do it at some point. Uh, Just a general soundtrack. Episode. I'll pick the most interesting
1: one, because if I go by bias, it's going to be the ssx I mean, I think we can
0: just do like but... a general one. Like, we don't need to focus on one specifically. I think we can do like, here's a bunch of soundtracks, and let's pick what's interesting from them.
1: Anyhow, once the record was properly released, critics generally complimented the new, more mature direction from the album, and the lead singles Feeling This and I Miss You charted high with the latter becoming the group's second number one hit on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. Fans, however, were somewhat uneven on the New Direction, and tensions within the band stemming from the grueling schedule of work, DeLong's desire to spend more time with his family, and that basically everyone had side projects now, started to become evident. In February 2005, Geffen issued a press statement announcing the band's indefinite hiatus— with the band behind the scenes having broken up after a lot of arguments about their future and recording process. DeLong felt increasingly conflicted about his creative freedom within the group and the toll that tour was taking on his family life. He eventually expressed that he wanted to take a half-year break from touring to spend more time with his children. Hoppus and Barker were dismayed by this, which they felt was an overly long break, and rehearsals for a benefit concert were what was the flint on the final explosion, rooted in the trio's increasing bitterness towards one another. DeLong considered his bandmates' priorities mad, mad different, yo, coming to the conclusion that the trio had simply grown apart as they had aged, had families, and become famous. The breakdown in communication led to heated exchanges, resulting in his exit from the group. But the specter of Blink-182 is not over, and should we ever reach 2011— we will have the drama-filled production of Neighborhoods to wait for us.
0: By the way, a lot of this, uh, just to uh, plug it, I guess, has been taken by, honestly, a not that particularly good book, but it's Blink-182, The Bands, The Breakdown, and The Return. Um, it's a book that exists, if you want to learn about Blink-182. I'd... It's not good, <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of info in it. <laughs>
4: A book that exists. Put that on the jacket.
0: It has has good info in it. I just think it's not particularly well written, and there's clearly, like, about, like, four to five chapters that talk about other stuff that's just there to fill space,
1: basically. I also found some quotes from that. Yes, I understand what you mean about it being very poorly written.
0: Yeah, like, I feel you, like, there's not a lot to say when you talk about a band. I had this problem when writing these histories, but, like, you know. Uh, But Yes. <laughs> uh, and now we can talk about the records. I got no regret right now. So we start with Filling This also known as Action question mark. The best song
4: ever. <laughs> in my my humble opinion. Definitely the best pop punk song. Like the way this song is written is kind of a wonder to me. Like they they, they pack so many like
0: different kinds of hooks into a very short space. It's very much a near warm. Like I don't know if I'd call it the uh, you know my favorite song on the record because it's it, we, it, it's sort of a weird song but it's also like incredibly
4: catchy well but i think i think what makes it work for me is that it's the the verses and choruses are so heterogeneous and like the verses are louder than the choruses which is weird um and then that that outro with the the vocal counterpoint harmony like gets me every fucking time
0: i do really like like the overlapping vocal and uh, stuff like that it's, it's, it's so great good. it's definitely <laughs> my good. my shit um I don't, like, it's difficult to judge it because it's so different from other songs they've written. Like, the writing on this, is, this is definitely, like, a way to open the record and be like, this record is different because this doesn't sound like anything Blink did before.
1: Really? Because I think this is the most Blink track on the album until the very
4: end. I think there's a set, it depends on, like, I guess what you think Blink is, right? Because, um, like, it's a, it's a fucking song, which is, like, very Blink, right?
1: yeah i think as the archetypes of pop punk for a lot of this decade this is the thing that most feels like their old material in terms of vibes how's that
0: yeah not even lyrically i was mostly talking about like structurally and like a lot uh, we will talk about the production but like this the sound is very different to me between this and something like the rock show
4: the sound the sound is very you know there's a lot of flanging and like reverb and hollowness but like it's I think the pieces I think the pieces are very blink one eighty two and the way they're put together is very different.
0: It's also like not a lot of this record, um a lot of the songs on this record are not a world of sound. Like there's a lot of just emptiness in the sound, I feel, which is not bad. It's just again, a really particular sound that they're going for. It's weirdly minimalist. It also has a lot of um
4: modulation. So, you know, like um uh, most like Blink 182 songs are like straight ahead distortion, right? This has a lot of like flanging and chorus effects. You know, flanging is like a weird, like, it make, kind of makes your, uh, guitar sound like an airplane, uh, because you're like messing with the tape speeds or like, cor- like these things that are like mostly uh, guitar effects you would associate with like The Cure or like 80s new wave. And so it's, even though they're still kind of, um, power chord songs like they're they're being fed
0: through a lot of sounds they don't usually use yeah i think for me still the weak point of this is the the vocals i don't like tom Delonge vocal i think they work on like two songs on this record and otherwise they just don't work for me and mark corpus i like mark Coppos as a vocalist but he works better and pa- in like more straightforward like fast punk song and there are a couple of good ones
4: i generally agree that t- tom DeLonge's not my favorite but like I do have a lot of love for the the off-key, singing, like, down-the-hall part of this song. There's something about when that comes that feels very cathartic and, like, snotty.
3: I don't like it very much. <laughs> Just because, like, many, many songs, it's very repetitive. Um... I'm not a huge fan of the spoken part of it. I do like the chorus, though.
0: Has anyone? Have, have you all seen the video?
1: Yes, I oh, was yeah. actually going to bring that up, which is why I was waiting for oh, the end. Okay,
4: go, go oh, for yeah, it. Of course, classic. <laughs> yeah, I I think this is an
1: interesting track. It's I see why it's a single. It's not one of my top on the record, but it's a solid little opening track with. No lyrical embarrassment, other than the slow bridge being a kind of you swung for the fences and hit yourself in the balls moment. That just that just does not land for me. But the uh, apparently the story about this is that both Delange and Hoppus didn't work with the other when they were writing lyrics for this, and then they just combined their work at the end. So they both went, "Ah, oh, we both wrote about sex. It's just one of them wrote about really horny teenage sex and the other being really horny kind of quiet boy all longing for romance sex. And that also sums up the music video where you have kids in a combo prison slash private school with the band performing in the yard in front of very Pink Floyd inflatables
4: of a capitalist pig and a baby. It feels very, I feel like in that period of time, there were a lot of videos that were rock band playing live to a bunch of kids by chain link fences jumping around on authority figures. Like, I feel like this is, like, with this, I, there was, like, a lot of Deftones videos that were this, and a lot of Corn videos that were this. Um, it's, it, it was a weird trend. But
1: the inflatables and the fact that apparently they introduced DeLong to the wall on this record, like, they mention in some of the production notes and things, yeah, no, we just gave him vinyls of the wall to listen to because he'd never heard Pink Floyd... And it really shows in this video, because this is just The Wall, but
4: for children. <laughs> you're saying The Wall's not for children? Kids gotta learn sometime.
0: I mean, it's a, it has cartoon bits. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> okay, The Wall, written by children. Happier? <laughs> uh, it's true, this is a band that has never, ever grown I, I
0: feel out. like, but you're right, there was like a tendency, especially in the 2000s, of the... The rage against an unspecified oppressor that we're never brave enough to specify as anything politically relevant.
4: Yeah, and the, and the idea that rock and roll is like the way you fight this, which is like, you know, at the time, right, this is the Bush years where like, there were no, there was no real political music, or if it was, it was very toast because everybody was afraid of getting Dixie-chicked. Yeah, it was it was a few old guard punk bands, basically. Essentially, all the punk bands who had never stopped being political, you know? Um, and then, yeah, Blinkwood, you know, the most political any music got <laughs> was, like, Amer- the song American Idiot.
0: It's like, we have to capitalize on this moment of general dissatisfaction with the status quo. But also, we, we need to not upset the people who are happy with the status quo. Therefore, generic uh, revolution imagery. Ooh, um. But American idiot is coming soon, and it will save us all. So you know we shouldn't complain.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I think
0: all these criticisms of feeling this are valid. You know, it's it's a fairly
4: repetitive and hollow song, but I, I think to me it kind of wows me, in a in a song crafty way, <laughs> um, which is not a way I usually approach Blink One Eighty Two. But you know, it's it's hard to write a hook, and I feel like they have five different hooks in this song, that all together can feel messy, but it's, it also reminds me of Guided by Voices in a way, the way you would stuff like a lot of hooks into a very small space. It's not something they do anywhere else on the album except to maybe go... <laughs>
0: which opens with some incredibly bad guitars, but then it sort of calms down a bit. They sound really, they
4: sound like Linkin Park guitars to me. <laughs> like, it's uncanny.
0: I mean, I've been fucking, I've been, my brain is broken by this podcast because I, I know that you think Linkin Park, I went like, oh, these are SR-71 guitars. In the course they definitely are. No, this is SR71 SR-71 second record guitars. Oh, God. I didn't know they had a second record. That's horrifying. Oh, there's multiple. They have a record where they try to be a sort of dark rock, Linkin Park. Um, it exists. Oh, that sounds bad. Sybil likes it.
4: I do. Obvious, like, is kind of a drag. Uh, like... The problem with Blink-182 writing like darker songs is that, you know, kind of like uh, you mentioned earlier, they're, they're very repetitive songwriters, and if they're not having fun, then we're not having fun, usually. Um, I will say, I think the guitar riff in the chorus I really like. That, like, single string line.
0: The yeah, yeah, yeah backing vocals are the one thing that I remember with the song because they sound sort of awkward, and I don't know why, it's just like a weird delivery of yeah, yeah, yeah in the background every couple of seconds. Um, This definitely feels like a Tom DeLonge song. All of Tom DeLonge songs sort of sound the same. Like, they sort of have the same songwriting tropes to them. Yeah. They sound... They're the one they're trying to sound the more serious and bigger, and therefore they end up sort of falling the most flat for me. Um, Yeah, there's... I mean, it's hard to listen to
4: them and not hear Angels and Airwaves coming out of this.
0: Yeah, uh, Angels and Airwaves is not good. Um, They're not not good,
4: no.
1: Okay, name an Angels and Airwaves song, because I don't know that I've ever heard them.
4: Uh, You haven't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Unless you made a point, to, I can't imagine you would have. I don't think they've ever had a big single, did they? No, they they never really did. The thing about this song that I love, and a very like the the part of the song that screams to me, this is our pet sounds, which is like one of the you know tossed off album titles, is in the chorus at the beginning of each chorus. There is one bell hit. You know those like long bells you would get in like you know the pit of band sections. Um, so you know they just rented this like expensive percussion instrument to play one note. <laughs> at the chorus of this song that's just not a guitar it's like good for you guys good for
0: you i'll use a midi plugin but you you do you look jimmy etward had the gong and blink-182 has the bell every 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 pop punk band needs to have their signature odd instrument that happens exactly once the signature giant percussion instrument <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. I, l- I looked up the first single Angels and Her put out in this music video. Something.
4: Oh yeah, they're they uh,
1: He's Wait, running which, which... around in a flight jacket with NASA patches in a Oh, field. that one.
4: <laughs> yeah, that was when um Tom DeLonge really got into aliens. Yeah, um,
1: as well. I'm I'm well aware of that. I've I've gone on a rant about that at different points. Anyhow. Okay, that gives me all the context I needed.
4: Is that the one where they're they're playing in a UFO? Yeah, in the gazebo that's clearly supposed to be a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Yep. Look, follow, follow your bliss, Tom. Far, I'll follow, follow it far <laughs> away from me. Um, yeah.
1: This this track comes off with a grimier sound in production, but uh, DeLong's vocals continue to make this it it blends together like a smoothie. There's no texture. There's just a slurry of nasally-voiced, high-pitch complaints about how there's a relationship going wrong, but also, this sounds the most teenaged of anything on the album, where it's just like, try again! I mean, it's just the long... I, I yeah. don't
0: even think... Like, the song is... It's the problem with the long... Most of the long song. they sound the same. They're not necessarily bad, but, like, they're sung by Tom Lounge, which is the lead problem of them. Like, Robert Smith could deliver this song better, which is something that I would say every song now.
4: You should, um... Did you ever listen to the Cure's self-titled album? Yes. That album feels a lot like if Robert Smith sung this album. Yeah, no, I mean, there there's a... There's a good, like, chunk of this album that all sounds very similar. And, like, to me, whether I like it or not is, like, is it a chord progression I think is interesting. And with Obvious, it's not really, although again, I think the lead line in the chorus is
0: good. They're like, da 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 I think there's something interesting in there. It, this is an interesting record, because my problem with Anima specifically, when, back in two years ago when we did our first episode, uh, was that the singles were really fun, and then the record itself was like 50% like sort of sad slash melancholic song that didn't really work for them and in this record it's like a hum, almost 100% like sad melancholic songs and they're better than the one on anima. like I think most of the ballads and like slower songs are better than the ones in anima. but they're also like an, a, a weird like, direction for the band I guess as you mentioned they don't go full in emo but they're not it, it feels like it's a transitional album that never
4: had its, like, full album afterwards because they broke up. Like, I feel like if Link-182 did an album after this, we would all see this as a transitional moment. How's the Neighborhood? Not good, bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, is, it, it, it sounds like what it is, which is like, a, you know, a middle-aged guy trying to be, you know,
0: 18... <laughs> Oh, okay, I just found out why they reformed, which was Yes. Uh Jerry Jerry Lynn, Jerry Finn Jerry Finn died. And Barker nearly died.
4: Yeah, from that helicopter, right? Or some kind plane of crash, yeah. With yeah. DJ AM. Yeah. That's uh What a what a time to be alive. <laughs> what a time, what to, a be time to be alive, yes. Uh, I miss you. Should, can we make sure to move on? Yeah,
0: let's <laughs> talk about I miss you. <laughs>
2: The webs from all the spiders Catching things and eating their insides Like indecision to call you And hear your voice up treason Will you come home and stop this pain tonight Stop this pain tonight Don't waste your time on me You're already the voice inside my head Don't waste your time
4: I Miss You, like, the, the verse of I Miss You is what I'm talking about when I think of, like, the bass lines hitting a seventh that does something interesting with the guitar. Because the verse of I Miss You, I think the interplay between the bass and guitar is really cool and interesting. And then it gets
1: really cheesy in the chorus. <laughs> I'm gonna say something horrible that we all need to acknowledge about I Miss You. is it a No, no, no. This okay. feels like a track that wouldn't have happened pre-Boxcar Racer. Oh, absolutely true.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. This definitely feels like... This does feel like... Like they say, they say they collaborated a lot more on the songs in an interview that I was hearing, uh, watching for this. Beforehand, it was just like Mark Hoppus would write a song, Tom DeLonge would write a song. This feels like a song where both of them put input in it. Like, this does sound like Boxcar Racer, but doesn't sound like the standard DeLonge song. This has a bit more of, like, I feel creativity put on it. Um, it also has a video, which is. It does. A video which just feels like a gothier version of Night Tonight.
4: Yeah, it's like. It's definitely gesturing towards that.
1: It's by the Smack My Bitch Up director. Oh, well, he. Then? Okay. He's got a fucking great stuff. I knew it before I looked it up just from how he was filming them.
4: Ackerland is great. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, good music videos. Um Yeah, I don't know. I, I again I really like the verse of this. I think it's it's so, it it almost feels post-punk in the way that it's like arranged. Mm-hmm. Um and it's sort of like minimalist style. And then like I don't know. I think it's the string section. I think you have to earn a string section, and this song doesn't. <laughs> um and it really turns me off.
0: <laughs> and also, yeah.
4: this was everywhere. This is the big single on this album. Like, they played this. Eternally. <laughs> oh yeah. This was the big
0: thing. Yep. Even
1: with that, even having heard this so much back in the day, that I can still kind of hum most of it, even if I hadn't listened to the lyrics specifically.
0: Third best track on the album for me. I I don't think it's a bad song. I I think it's a great song. I don't know if it's a song that I'd ever listen to voluntarily. Like I don't know if I'm ever, I will ever in my life be in a mood where I'm like. I'm going to pick the MP3 for Miss You on my MP3 player and listen to it. But I think it's a good song. I think the, I'll keep banging on this. The main fault on this is that it feels that neither of their voices sort of matches the tone, really. It really works on this.
4: I kind of like Mark's voice because it has a similar texture to that acoustic guitar.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Hoppus really matches the deeper parts of the bass.
4: Yeah, it's 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 texturally really... Fits for me. DeLong feels like the thing. The thing about this song, I think, that bothers me is like it could be better if it did a couple of things different, like a lot better, and it just
0: doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like with the, I feel I would enjoy Mark Hoppus' voice better on the song if the launch counterpoint was better. Like if there was a better because it's like it feels like the voice is sort of like bassy and low, and it's sort of building up to something. But it's building up to the lounge singing, which is...
4: Yeah, I, the chorus doesn't follow through at all. Um, do you want to know what, what single, like, overtook this on the charts? Sure. Yes, I do know. Yep. It's uh, it's the, the classic uh, monster rock ballad, uh, The Reason by Hoobastank. Oh, no. That was the only song powerful enough to knock this song off. <laughs> Two weeks after number one. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> this is the most 2003-ass shit.
1: <laughs> also, nothing says this song was being made by the band in their most hot topic era than Travis Barker asked them to put in an extended reference to the Nightmare Before Christmas for his then-wife.
4: I always wondered why the fuck that was in there, because it yeah, feels that's so... Barker,
1: Barker <laughs> asked for that to be there about his wife of the time.
4: Oh my god.
1: And that's so weird because it's it makes Hoppus's verse into this long gothy metaphor, and then Tom DeLonge comes in and starts talking about the webs from all the spiders catching things and eating their insides. I sound like I am twelve. Yeah. I mean, it
0: literally says we can live like Jack and Sally if you want, where you can always find me, and we'll have Halloween on Christmas. Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not subtle. <laughs> You know, subtext is for cowards. I mean, he's just saying the plot of the movie. I, I, so I listened to this record twice today. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked at the lyrics. And and now I'm happy that I haven't looked at the lyrics because, wow, that's... Uh... I don't think anyone has ever listened to Blink for the lyrics, though.
4: <laughs> no, but sometimes Fair. they're... They're not the modern Dylan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sometimes their lyric writing is very, yep, you're emotionally 12th. And sometimes it's like, oh, you're, you're trying, you're getting there. And there's a lot more, oh, you're getting there on this record, which is a thing I never thought I was going to say.
0: Yeah. I I still think their best song is The Rock Show. I'm just going to put this out. Like, this is maybe the best record they've did as a whole. This is a very coherent record uh, and has a particular sound and they were going for something. So I definitely appreciate it as a record as a whole. The Rock Show is a banger. The Rock Show is like just a great pop thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, they have, a, I think they have a bunch of those. Alright, let's talk about violence. Let's. I, I, I hear that it's caused by video games.
2: Six bottles went down the drain. One hour's waste of time. I'd ask if you feel the same. Still pushing that chance to try. Your breath in this cool room chill Long hair that blows side to side You speak and make time stand still And he's you walk, right on by right.
4: Um, this is a, a song, I think the first song of the album that feels, feels obviously like, oh, you fucked around in a studio for a long time.
0: Yup. The intro to this is, um, were they trying to be trans-rats I'm very confused by the intro to this.
3: The intro to this, up until the 32nd arc, just super sounds like an RPG, um, like battle music to me.
0: You're right, <laughs> this sounds like Final Fantasy 10. It this does. sounds like you're fighting Teacher Tidus' dad. Okay, so the first half
1: of this song, I find complimentary, because it's almost a minute before anyone speaks, then we go into a spoken word segment briefly,
3: word segments.
1: <laughs> and then we get into the first time the lyrics on this record made me go, oh, come on! Once the actual song begins. Like violence, you kill me forever (laughs) and after. Yeah, (laughs) And that's the chorus.
3: People die when they get killed.
1: This is so true. It's it's so close to working for me. And then just wham, right in the nuts. They just keep doing that on this record with tracks where it's like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. Damn it, boys.
4: (laughs) I like (laughs) violence. You can quote me on that.
3: <laughs> I like um, violence, not like this.
4: <laughs> no, I, I like it. One, I think it, I, the heterogeny works for me, right? Um, like the fact that, you know, the most boring songs in this album stay at one level the whole time. And this one goes way low, way up all the time. The verse chord progression I love a lot. It's weird. Um, again, it, it's focusing... Uh, hard on like, you know, minor thirds and sevenths, like again, dissonant, uh, dissonant chords in the, in the scale. Um, and they're, they're trying so much on it. You know, it's hard for me to like, be mad at them trying so much. They have this, like, again, they have like the flanged percussion going on. They have this like single string guitar line. They're snapping. um you know they're really giving it their all, and there's a part of it that's just like, yeah, guys, you're trying, you're going for
0: it. I love that. <laughs> hmm. They're they're definitely trying a lot of things. I'm not sure how much they work. Again, the intro, be that percussion stuff on the intro, it's like, I don't know. Th- I don't think it's bad. It's just like weird. It's like, okay, what are you doing? And. The chorus is sort of like a standard Blink One Eighty Two chorus, still though, which I feel is where this fails. But I, I get yeah. it. It's not a bad song. It's again very transitional. It's like we've tried some things, and now we're doing the Blink chorus, and now we're gonna try some other things, which I, you know.
1: Speaking of transitional, have we mentioned that the album cover is just the trans flag colors? Blink One Eighty Two said trans rights.
3: <laughs> Did they?
1: Well, they used a slur to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, if you asked a 2003 Blink-182 what they thought about trans rights, I guarantee they would be like, yeah, that's great. Chicks with
4: dicks are cool, too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Yeah, sounds in character. Yeah.
4: But it would be, you know what? They'd be earnest about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. They would mean it. <laughs> We're not quite at steve territory, but, you know, they're trying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, everything we're saying about violence, or that's been said about violence, about it being, like, going a bit too far is how I feel about Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) Stockholm Syndrome (sighs) tries way too hard.
0: Let's go to Stockholm
4: Syndrome.
1: Well, first let's talk about the interlude, because that was originally part of violence.
0: I'm so confused as to what they were trying to say in the interlude. So, the interlude... And I'm taking this from Wikipedia. Thanks, Wikipedia. I don't like your new layout, but you're still useful. Yeah, I don't like it either. Oof. That's, that's weird. Um, but yeah, it's an interlude f- featuring actress uh, Joan Wally and recites love letters that Hoppus' uh, grandfather wrote to his wife while fighting in World War II. Shrug emoji. I don't. Yeah, I, I also don't know why. But here's the background for it.
3: I just kept thinking I was getting some weird Spotify ad for someone else's music. <laughs> Even though I was listening to the album on YouTube, I kept on being like, ah, fucking Spotify. And then I'm like, oh, wait. No, <laughs> yeah. this is part of the... Why is this part of the album?
4: It it feels like they, they had a checklist of like, this is what, you know mature artistic this is what you do in a mature artistic album like when you have your uh your breakthrough uh pet sounds album you have to have a spoken word section you have to have orchestration you have to have all this other stuff and so they just did it Mm -hmm. um shouldn't have uh the 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 problem with it is, is like when when blink 182 are trying to be meaningful i think they're at their best when they're simple and sincere uh, than when they're trying to be pretentious and arty, which they, f- you know, it's one of the reasons Angel- Angels and Airways and Boxcar fails, is because they're trying to be that instead of, like, sincere, which is what they're good at.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't even know how, like, the idea of this is pretentious, Like right? The idea of this is a spoken word session, um... But it's also, like, a weird theme subject. Like, oh, these are the letters from World War II from his grandfather. And it doesn't even... I think this would work if it was more pretentious. Like, it, if it was this, like, just weird abstract poetry Mark Hoppus wrote, maybe this would work better. It's just, like, odd. Like, it's thematically odd. I... yeah. Mm.
1: It doesn't
0: really fit...
1: With the track it was originally on, or the track they've renamed it for.
4: That's the, that's the thing, is like, is it has nothing to do with the lyrics in either. I, I'm not, I don't understand mm-hmm. yeah. it. Yeah. And it doesn't really bridge either. Nope. No. And also, how the fuck did they get Joanne Whaley? <laughs> that's a good question. Magic? I mean, they, they had a lot of money. I mean, they got Robert Smith. Well, yeah, but they
1: had heard of The Cure... Which one of these boys was watching British period dramas? <laughs>
4: huh. Ha. That's, that's an excellent She
1: was in her fucking late
4: fifties at the time. Maybe it was because of Robert Smith. Maybe she, they found out about it through him. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh I, I know somebody.
0: Wait, so, wait, wait, I found a connection. Okay. She was an extra in the world. She was groupie in the world. Oh my god, it was that's her first problem? acting role. That's probably it. You're right.
4: Oh, that's depressing. (laughs) Uh,
1: For what it's worth, just because I did forget to mention it earlier, uh, the production of this record was a goddamn mess. Apparently some of the tracks were finished like the day before it went gold. And that's how there are so many different versions of things out there. So it doesn't surprise me that things that contributed to that are We got random actresses and British people to listen to place tracks on this and then do vocals for us. Because Robert Smith didn't fly over to record this. He just did his tracks
4: overseas. Well, that's, that's, this is their first Pro Tools album, right? Like, Pro Tools, like a digital audio workstation is conducive to this kind of writing because you can just, it's easy to try shit. It's easy to try, like, tons and tons of shit on a, on a computer as opposed to, like, an analog, you know, tape, tape desk. So, like, you put these guys in, like, an expensive house with a bunch of weed and uh, pro tools. Yeah, this is what happens. There's another
1: line about that that I'm saving for a specific track. But, yeah, they, they did half of this in San Diego, absolutely wrecked. And then they started going into a stimulants and paranoia phase for the back half of it, working out of L.A. That's fun. Oh, That's great. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So part of this was done in San Diego. Part of this was done in L.A. And uh, yeah, there's a quote that I'm saving.
0: So Stockholm Syndrome is also a song, aside from being an interlude. Um, I don't hate the song. It's sort of like a more of a rock song than a lot of the other songs on this record. I don't, I don't have any particularly comment on it, but it's enjoyable. It feels like one of the more
4: explicit gestures to Emo of the time. Like it feels mm-hmm. a little like feels a little Thursday, it feels a little Jimmy World, it feels a little like latter period AFI. Yeah. Um you know. It's fine. I think there are there are songs in this mold that I like better than Stockholm Syndrome. Oh yeah, of mm-hmm.
0: course. Yes. Yeah.
4: And it's let down by that by the by the interlude, I think.
0: Yeah, the 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 interlude sort of overshadows it in a way that's like after that interlude I wasn't expecting something that's normal. I do think that the the stuff that Travis is doing on drums is really interesting, because he
4: keeps going between like normal and halftime sort of interchangeably, and it makes the,
0: the song feel really elastic.
1: As a former psych major, I hate this track on a few levels, but this is my best track on the record.
0: Is it because Stuck on Drum isn't real?
1: Yeah, it's the fact that Stockholm Syndrome is incredibly misogynistic, and also that this is the band attempting to put themselves in the mind of a paranoid schizophrenic. That's the concept of this song. Oh
0: my.
3: Hmm. Let me take a second look at this so I can vet this for how true it is.
0: Time time for an Adam Brand.
3: <laughs> no, I'm not going to get into that today.
0: Okay. But yeah, uh, that's
1: that's part of it. On the other hand, this is where the structure of the album with shorter tracks into a few occasional singles, but also some harder material like this. This is the first time I looked at this band and went, they're learning, they're growing up, holy shit. And I really started to appreciate the rest of the album in that light.
0: Okay. I
4: would agree. I think the album gets better.
1: Yeah, I do. Just this is where it really clicked for me. I'm not just sitting here going, oh, okay, it's Blink, it's Blink. No, this is something you never would have heard. You had people experimenting with side projects, doing things with the transplants, boxcar, what's about to become Angels and Airwaves. All of this because everyone is finally getting sick of the pop punk machine and going, no, but what if we did this different?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this before. This feels like the first time that Blink wrote an album. They wrote like a bunch of songs. They tried to write an album, which there's definitely like good in that even though they didn't succeed completely.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm. Adam, how do you find the lyrics?
3: Oh, no, I said I wasn't going to get into it.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Then we can move on to... Down! Which is another very Tom DeLonge song. Um, it has that sort of, like, rising tension that it does, and yeah. Um, it feels like a, a, a slower version of violence to me. Mm-hmm. This is, I feel this is the bit in my notes where I start writing less stuff down, because especially this song is like, yeah, we've heard this song before. And if you like this kind of song, you will like this song. If you don't like this kind of song, you will not like this kind of song. And I like some of the production, and that's it. I, I like some of the production. Like, on this record in general, it's weird. It's different. Um, that's different for what they do usually, which is enough to make it interesting. Um, but this is, this is yeah, this is an Angel and songs song.
4: This is definitely, yeah, for sure. This
0: is... Okay, but it is the
1: shittiest
0: chorus they've ever written. Down, 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 yeah. down. Yeah! <laughs> yeah.
1: Over and over. That's not a joke. Sixteen downs between other words. Repeated twice. <laughs> yeah. And I praise I praise Hoppus' vocals, but Nobody can suck the energy out of a song like Mark Hoppus not giving a fuck.
4: This is so true. That's very accurate. Down, down, down,
1: down. Down, 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 down. Down, 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 down. Down, 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 down. It gets me so. Down, down, down.
0: He's just a sleepy boy, you know? He's a bored, sleepy boy. Look, it's just the most boring uh fighting game combo that it keeps reciting.
4: <laughs> yeah. <gasps> down, 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 down
1: back. Look, I'm labbing out Luke. Street Fighter Six is coming out. Uh there's also a music video for this track where Terry Cruz is a cop chasing some dude who is only ID'd by his face tattoo of the word trouble. Oh, I, I
0: didn't know that there was a video for this. I'm gonna just look at it now. Yep.
1: It's All right. The most interesting thing about it, to me, is that all of the extras at this house party are from an L.A. community program of ex-gangbangers.
4: Oh, okay. Down was a single? Down was a single. It was the third single,
0: apparently. I also wasn't aware of it.
4: Yeah, I don't remember ever hearing Down on the radio. That's nuts. I think I've heard violence on the radio and not Down. Which, like,
0: I don't think violence was a single. (laughs) Uh, uh, The video has Terry Crews in it.
1: Yeah, he's just a cop.
0: Reprising his uh, role from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, or whatever that show is called. Predating his role for Brooklyn 9
1: He's creating Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's a,
4: it's a pre-reprise.
0: It's a pre-prize. Wait, so if <laughs> we go back in time and murder Blink-182, we stop Brooklyn Nine-Nine from existing?
1: Can you live with yourself with Blink-182 in your life, Ellie? Uh,
0: yes, very much. Look, I like that rock show. Uh, I don't like the rock show that much. Uh, I think I'd survive. I guess that without Blink-182 there wouldn't be a bunch of bands that I liked, though, because a lot of people were loved them and uh, then went on to make music, which is a weird thing to think about, but...
4: Yeah, I'm, honestly, it's funny that, like, a lot of the most talented musicians I know are huge Blink-182 fans.
0: Yeah it's, yeah it's weird it's like a lot of like very serious sad like emo bands i like are like yeah we we got into music because we love blink and it's like okay guess we cannot murder them um <laughs> let's go to the fallen interlude which might be my favorite track of the record yeah your what? Favorite track of the record? Really? I like the Fallen Interlude. It sounds like it do- I, it's not my actual favorite track of the record. It sounds like a Portishead beat to me. Yeah, so, yeah, that's exactly it. It it sounds like trip hop. Yeah. It sounds like a neat like trip hop or like punk band branching into post stuff beat. I, I I'm mostly joking when I say favorite track of the record, but I think it's a It's a better interlude than the other interlude.
1: So here's the thing. I actually debated putting this down as my best track of the album, but I went, that would be shitty. It's just an interlude, clearly. But this is the track I like the most because it is the most new metal the band goes, but it doesn't tip over into full butt rock. And that's because they brought in Sick Jackin' to do the production and writing on this track. Ah. He is one of the co founders of Psycho Realm, who is just a general hip hop collective who've been around for years. Okay. And so finding out he did most of the production and also the writing of that interlude turns that down, down, down bit that was just so generic on go into something that has an
4: actual menace to it yeah. as a segue. It's dubby. He does like that 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 mm-hmm. kind of dubby thing with it. It's great. I, this is
1: the most fascinating track on this record for me. And it also sent me down the rabbit hole of looking into their collaborators on this record. And that's how I started looking up who the second most popular Canadian rap group of all time was as a result of going down the Psycho Realm rabbit hole. Is track. it Bare Naked Ladies?
4: No, <laughs> it is the Swollen Members, and they lost it to Drake. Of course, we all lost it to, to Drake. You know, I I I wish, I wish um, more was made of it. You know, stuff like this makes me think of the other, another big like, oh, this is our our arty album from a a an angsty band, which is Thousand Suns by Linkin Park. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, they would take this kind of like uh, trip hop or hip hop influence and really like merge it into a song. Yeah, and I wish they did that i would like having somebody basically do production like a make their own little interlude on your album is is interesting but like i just really want it to become something i think it could i think they could have made something really cool with it
1: yeah the the most damning statement about this interlude is that one of them is in a fucking new metal band that never made anything this interesting this is true there's not a single transplant song as fascinating as this two-minute interlude.
4: Uh yes. That's that's accurate. This is this is my favorite this is the, the best transplant song. <laughs> yeah. Far and away.
1: And this is Travis Barker's fault, apparently, that they brought in the guy. So it's like, yeah, no, you you clearly know what you wanna do, and it's not Blink.
4: Right. It's Machine Gun Kelly.
0: <laughs> Gosh. He ruined Kenny Hoopla! I liked Kenny Hoopla first record, and then he did stuff with Travis Barker, and it sucks. I did <laughs> like some of the Willow songs he did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, the Travis Barker notoriously, like, I, we talked about it in our anime episode, like, he came into Blink as, like, a replacement, like, he wasn't into the project at all, uh, he was just a drummer that was playing in a bunch of bands, and then Blink just happened to be huge, so he stayed because everyone loves money. It gives me the same vibes as
4: like Wes Borland and Limp Biscuit. as like the, <laughs> the 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 least asshole in the room.
0: Uh, and then we go to what this interlude is leading to, which is go. good punk song like it feels almost (laughs) like a song from anime. I'll be honest but it's fun and it's like a good track Um, and I haven't read it really I haven't read the lyrics I hope it's about I hope it's about the board game Um, and we have the Joker here Um, hello hello the Joker tell us what the lyrics are about Go is about
1: domestic violence Yeah. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, Mark Hoppus, direct quote Go is a really straight song and one of my favorite tracks. It deals with domestic violence and it's really powerful. The tempo, the aggressive guitars make it a real simple song that you can listen to in a
0: car. It's surely a good tune. I mean, uh, I mean, most of Blink's songs are very straight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah,
4: again, a long way from I want to fuck a dog in the
0: ass.
3: They've come so far.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. But it, it's a well, it's a well, it's a well-written punk song. So you know, you know, I, I, I'll say this: like, it's
4: wild. You know, it's the the tonal dissonance is is wild. But if they're going to try and be like angsty and serious, like writing about things that have actually happened to you is more interesting to me than trying to put yourself in the head of a paranoid schizophrenic or whatever and failing.
0: I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's still less bad than that that time on this podcast where we listened to a Sam 41 song where it was like a really fun song and then they stopped, looked at the audience and just talked about teen suicide and then reprised doing their punk song.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: So I guess this is better than that in terms of uh, a ludonarrative dissonance, but still, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that word has a definition. Uh,
0: no, no, it, it doesn't. It, Words no, don't mean anything. No. <laughs> ah! It's good.
4: Um I to, you know, there's a a three song run here from like Go to Always that I think is my favorite thing in the album. Like it's a it's it's the chunk that speaks the most to me. Oh really Astania too. Oh, I love Astenia. Like once Astenia okay. gets going, I really love it. Okay, I, you know I don't like the interludes. I don't need the, the whole, <laughs> the whole spoken intro or whatever. But like, um, once it gets going, I think Astania is great.
0: Okay, right. I Astenia is the one song where I didn't write down any notes. Uh, I don't remember that song, um, so everyone else can talk about it. Let's talk about Astenia.
1: To fight our guest. Uh, Asthenia is a term coined for how life breaks down in space. Uh-huh. So that's why it starts with actual NASA transmissions. Oh, this is a Tom the Launch song. Starting your, oh, your track with actual transmissions from astronaut missions is hack as shit. I only allow two artists to get away with this. The Butthole Surfers and Public Service Broadcasting. And Blink-182 is neither of those.
4: Yeah, they try to be butthole surfers. You know, um, no, I mean, I agree. I think the opening spoken word thing is, is not good. <laughs> I think it's bad. But the actual, the actual song gets at this sort of, like, um, new wave. Uh, you know, it sounds like The Killers, almost, in a way that I really enjoy. This is the most where I see their, oh, yeah,
1: we were inspired by The Cure. Uh-huh. I get it here. The bass is definitely going hard on that. And apparently, uh, they plugged Tom's guitar into a Leslie cabinet that was dying. So that's why the whole thing sounds a little weird in the opening chunk.
4: That's what that is. I thought it was just a phaser. (laughs) Nope.
1: They just shoved it into some dying equipment to get a different sound out of it. Yeah.
0: Uh, Makes sense. I I, I like to... Like... Because there's been where, like, you hear all of this production story, so we tried all of these weird things. And, like, you can imagine them, because, like, they're normal, serious human being. I cannot imagine doing all of this shit. That They just, every time I see them in interview, they just come off as cartoons. I cannot imagine them doing serious music shit. I mean, I think calling this serious
4: music shit might be
0: overstating
4: it. It's, like, it's, it's, it's fucking around with the equipment in the studio. Fair
1: enough. That is <laughs> fair. Yeah, the the actual final studio they wrapped this in, according to their descriptions, was a musical laboratory. Over seventy guitars, thirty amps, quote thirty or forty different snare drums, six drum kits, keyboards, turntables, and pianos were used in the album's production. Most of which came out of Finn's personal collection.
4: It just sounds like they're fucking around. It makes me think of um. You know, when the Flaming Lips did their first major label album, uh, Hit to Death, there's all these stories of them, like, flushing guitars in the toilet to see what would happen. (laughs) Like, there's this idea of, like, when you have access to a bunch of stuff to just fuck around and see what happens. And that seems more like the energy here than, like, a, you know, a Brian Wilson type.
0: Yeah. Also, when you said music laboratory, my first thought was, like, a music museum for children like a lot of interactive stuff that you press and make noises.
1: Blink-182 would absolutely record a track that used the walk-on piano from Big. Yes.
3: Um, I liked it. It's interesting. Um, I really liked the guitar, which makes sense, because they were doing weird things with the guitar. plugging it into tying equipment and such. Um, yeah, it's a fun song. I like it. So, yeah.
4: I love Always because Always feels the most like the teen the teen movie Blink-182 song. Like, it feels like the climax of a of an early-odds teen movie where they're running to the prom or whatever. I liked the video for Always. The video is
1: fascinating. The video was apparently more successful than the actual song was. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, it didn't get a lot of radio play. The music video won awards.
0: Oh, wow. Who did it? So, just to describe the video for the people who have not, didn't, don't have it directly available to watch right now. It has sort of a really Michel
4: like, Gondry concept, right? Where it's just like.
0: Yeah, it's like three, like the screen is divided in three parts and it's like the same scenes but with the three members of Blink in the same yep. role. Um, it's, it's technically very cool.
1: Uh, this is by Joseph Kahn, who started out doing a lot of hip-hop and r videos and went into doing new metal as well as some uh let's just say divergences with the backstreet boys and a few other people these days he mostly works with because that's who gets a lot of big music video directors your britney spears taylor swift madonna
4: etc and i love this song this i love the the 16th notes hi-hats it has again it's, it's got big teen energy to me And I think Blink-182 are at their best when they're tapping into that, you know, honest and innocent, you know, innocent in the idea of being, I guess, being naive, uh, like teen energy for me. Oh,
1: shit. We're going to see we're going to see Joseph Kahn again soon on this podcast. What? What? What for? He does the Offsprings next video. Uh, What? What's next? Hit that? Did it repeat that? No, no. uh, Can't get my head around
4: you. Oh, you're at Splinter already. Okay. We're
0: we're 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 in the decline of well into the decline. Um, Conspiracy One is not very good. Yeah, Uh, I I think I've described um, uh, what's the song was original prankster like the only song that gets worse every single time you listen to it. It does. (sighs) (sighs) You just reminded
4: me of it, and I'm angry. You can just feel like (laughs) there, there. It makes me feel bad. It's like when a. A sketch show has to bring back a fan favorite character, but you can tell they're not into it. Like the fact that they were basically like, "Hey, you got to make uh, you got to make pretty fly again." <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, bud.
1: <laughs> At least it beats that last album they did, uh, which
0: <sighs> the 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 new the new one. The... Who's still listening to the, the Offspring? I, 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 but not voluntarily. That was a Sable, uh production that forced us to hey, do that.
1: you can't tell me The Offspring is doing, goddamn Seth MacFarlane thing, and then not expect me to pull the trigger.
4: I imagine it's more like a Richard Cheese
0: thing at that point. Oh, it was very Richard Cheese. That song is Easy Target. This is the most punk song <laughs> of the record. Did we even discuss Always? I love it. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, Max loved it. <laughs> Do you want to say something about Always Civil? I it, it, I I think it's a fine song, it's just not my vibe. Um, it's a bit too cheesy. Uh, but I get it. I get white people like it.
4: I love cheese. Cheese me up. It's not bad. It's got a very
1: 80s styling. Again, they really bloom into that on the back half of this record. The
4: lyrics are what lets it down. This has actually been a, a fun conflict on Kitchfork, which is that I don't listen to the lyrics um, at all. Um, so I just never get bothered. Um I'm a big fan of Interpol for that reason. Like I don't I don't give a shit what they're saying. Um
1: Yeah, no, I'm a I'm a giant prog fan, so Ellie and I have uh, come to blows a few times where I'll be going, This is terrible writing and she's just like, but they have good lyrics. they have good singing. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um but yeah, again, I think when they, they lean into the John Hughesiness of it all, uh is when the album I think works the best for me.
1: Uh, that is a direct quote, is that, quote, it's got kind of an 80s thing. It's not a dance song, but if you did dance to it, you'd look like you were right out of 1985.
0: Huh. The Bowling for Soup song? Wait, isn't that an sr 71 song also? So, uh, that was written by the dude from sr 71 and then re-released in the Reunion third album. They had a Reunion album. Oh, God.
1: And the SR seventy one version is more aggro.
0: Yeah, the SR seventy one version is more problematic. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. We know way too much too much about SR seventy one. Look, it's not as bad
1: as being world scholars on the lies the orgy guy told because we covered lit. Yeah, and the fact that lit killed the guy. Lit killed the guy. Lit killed the guy. Yeah. Yeah. By proxy, Lit manslaughtered a guy with cops. Yeah. Huh.
3: That happened.
1: Bummer. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Bummer. We're here to ruin everything you touch.
0: I didn't touch Lit. I don't know if anyone touched Lit in a long time, but let's talk about easy target.
3: I mean, Lit is a pretty easy target, I gotta say.
0: It's so the punkiest song on the record. I feel this does feel like a punk song more than a lot of other stuff.
4: Yeah, but it doesn't feel like the kind of punk blink
0: 182 is. No, no, yeah, it, it feels like older punk, like um, punk okay. from another time. Tell me when we're done. <laughs> what, did, it, did it offend? What? Because I got,
4: I got some research. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say because I don't. I don't like Easy Target.
0: It's maybe my least favorite. I think it's fine, but now I want to hear the research. You cannot say I want I have research in that tone and not expect me to be very curious. So this is, the lyrics were where
1: I decided that I was going to place the stupidest quote about this album, which is that, uh, yeah. Quote, I think the second half of the record being written in LA was key. San Diego is very beautiful and rich in everything I don't want to see when I'm writing a record, not a punk rock record. Being in Los Angeles, the heart of fucking street bombs to drug dealers to pimps to fucking gangbangers, that gives you inspiration. Like me sitting in fucking San Diego seeing rich people drive their nice cars and go to their nice houses doesn't do shit for me. Eat shit. Travis Barker. Yeah, wow, Mister. I rented a mansion and claimed to spend three million on keeping pay-per-view porno on loop during production. You weren't anywhere around drug dealers or pimps or street bombs, and you didn't go anywhere near actual goddamn San Diegans either, being in fucking Rancho Santa Fe. You goddamn affluenza dipshit! Sorry. Southern California's breeding mommy's little monster. Fuck. You. You're the little monster. Eat my cock from the back. Wow. You really said that.
4: Ooh. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't think... I, 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 I am also annoyed by that. Like That sucks. What a dipshit.
1: I live in actual San Diego. I could show you the fucking poor neighborhoods that have any kind of problem... I could take you downtown, where every year there are fucking sweeps because little tourist dipshits like this asshole don't want to see a homeless person walking to the 7-Eleven two blocks from the convention center during San Diego Comic Con. I had to deal with the people that are like this shithead come into town, throwing around 50k and deciding, ugh, what a dull, terrible place that's just so boring. Fuck you. We have local color. We have more color than your goddamn band. Okay. Anyway. So that was easy target. I, I
0: think we don't. Yeah, I think we can up top this. Yeah.
3: <laughs> We're going to let the mic drop there.
0: Uh, And uh, all of this.
2: show how
4: This is so weird. This—it's <sighs> not what I expected uh, when I was told Robert Smith was on the album as a youngin.
0: Uh,
4: the, 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 yeah, this is the song with Robert Smith, in it? Because it feels like it feels like early odds era Cure, which I guess I should have expected. It feels bloodflowerzy, um, which is very out of place on the album. <laughs>
0: On the launch thing, it still sounds like a blank track. You immediately get taken back to, uh, you know, that vibe. Uh, it, the instrumentation is weird. There's a lot of uh, different sounds in this. They clearly tried to make it more curthy. Yes. There's a lot of reverb. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I like the track. I don't know if you told me... You should listen to the track on its own and rate it. After a record of Tom Delonge singing, uh, I'm just welcoming the bits with Robert Smith. Sings. That's so interesting. I don't know if I, I, can. I don't know if I can judge it away from that. But in the record, it's just like, oh, this is a singer that I like, and I think has an interesting like voice that works for this music. Um, but it's nice. I don't think it's a bad track. It's I agree. It's weird. Yeah, I, I,
4: I like it. I I like the song a lot. I think the only thing, I think it comes out a weird place on the album. Um, I'd maybe make it the closer or put it earlier. But I like it a lot. Yeah.
3: It's weird. It's interesting. It's kind of fun.
4: This is my number two track on the record,
1: and part of that comes from knowing where Robert Smith and The Cure are at during this time period. This is definitely something that they're about to release a complete eh record later this decade Is their band's final and worst album to date. But this is also interesting because it's a very experimental blinker. I don't know if my feelings on this would change if it were a Cure track with Tom DeLonge. It's just an interesting track.
4: It actually, and it does sound like a Cure track with Tom Yeah. (laughs) Like, again, it sounds very, like, self-titled Bloodflowers Era Cure with the sort of uh, dry guitars and the keyboard wash. This also has
1: one of my favorite Robert Smith quotes because uh, they reached out to him not knowing if he was going to do anything about this and were really worried that, like, He was going to go, oh, those are the boys who have the bum songs and just not do anything. And his response to the inquiry was apparently, nobody knows what kind of songs you're going to write in the future, and nobody knows the full potential of any band. I really like the music you sent me.
4: Aww. Yeah, it's- Uncle Bob, I love you.
0: Every time I hear anything by Robert Smith, it seems just like a generally wholesome individual. Oh, he's great. He's he's introed songs on tours.
1: They're just like- this is a song I wrote about my wife. I'm glad she stayed with me, or this would be real embarrassing. Things like that.
4: Yeah. His wife, who's he's like been married to for like 40 years. Yeah. She's amazing. What a guy. Apparently,
1: this was going to be, before the band broke up, uh, the fourth single on this record. And M. Night Shyamalan had been approached to
0: direct this video. <laughs> oh, wow. We... we We have been robbed of this.
3: That's crazy.
1: Uh, It was going to be about vampires is all he said about it. But yeah, he did comment on, yeah, loved the song, almost got hired to do a video. So fascinating. I really wonder what that alternate take on this timeline is. If, yeah, this gives more of a push to The Cure among pop-punk fans if this becomes a single.
0: What does that look like for both of these groups? <laughs> I mean, who? what other pop-punk bands could The Cure collaborate with? I mean, Robert Smith has
1: collaborated with some weird people. Hell, he's one of the best parts of the recent Churches album.
0: He was on the yeah. Paul Hartnell from Arbit solo album, which I still stand as a pretty solid album. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um... Yeah, imagine um, imagine Fallout Boy doing a song with Robert Smith. I don't want to.
1: I don't know. I think I think just putting fast music with Robert Smith would be really fun. They've done fast songs. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> they've done fast songs, but not since the, like. It would be entertaining. Imagine Dance Dance playing with Robert Smith vocals. That makes me sad. <laughs> That's really funny!
3: No, it's as <laughs> entertaining as hell!
1: Dance, dance, we're falling in line at halftime. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Go to Here's Your Letter. Uh, the only notes I have on this is that this is a very anime intro opening.
3: Explains why I like the opening.
1: Uh, apparently, this is yet another track on this record where Mark and Tom wrote different things and they glued the pieces together. So, yeah, great. Uh, Mark Hoppus says he wrote the verses and Tom wrote the choruses and they just didn't work together on that. But also, there's a bit in the middle where they talk about if they're cursed to this and it's it's a breakup song. It's a very the heteros are upsetero track. But Hoppus leading on vocals is a plus and puts it in my higher half on the album and Blink-182 asking if they're cursed is an interesting thought exercise, so I want to ask you, my co-hosts and guests, would you take the trade-off of being any member in Blink-182 if you had to live their life conscious inside it all, a la being John Malkovich?
0: So um, am I just witnessing their life from a window in their brain? You're feeling everything,
1: but you don't have the control. You're
4: living their life. I don't
0: have control.
4: I, I don't. I don't ever want to live the life of somebody who doesn't know how to go online for porn.
0: <laughs> well, you could be Eddie Member. You could be. You could be Travis Barker. I don't want to live the life of someone who watches porn for like twenty hours a day, which seems to be all of them. All right, Adam. Mm,
3: no, everyone has made a really compelling argument for why not to do it.
1: You wouldn't want to be <laughs> rich as balls and get
4: affluenza-brained because you're so coddled?
3: I can't do anything with it for me.
4: <laughs> it also just seems like a really boring way to get there. Like, yeah. Yeah, right.
3: <laughs> I-, I can't even like do the things that I want to do with all that money. I got to do the things that they want to do with all that money.
4: What if I had to be in the transplanter boxcar? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was, about, I, I was about to say, imagine being being in the head of Travis Barker and witnessing Machine Gun Kelly being created, and you can do anything about oh, it. Oh my god. Okay.
1: Okay. There you go. You can live any of their lives, you, you can do whatever, but you have to be there cheering on Machine Gun Kelly
4: and knowing you can't stop it. That's the one thing you can't change.
1: <laughs> That's all. It would feel
4: like that scene in Terminator 2 where Sarah Connor's like... Shaking the chain link fence, trying to get them to, <laughs> to get them away.
2: Oh. So,
0: I couldn't do it. It'd be horrid. All right. All right. Okay, do, we, do we have anything about Here's Your Letter? Because I sort of like this song. It, it's another one of those songs that sort of feels like an older Blink song. Um, it's like a more serious, but still sort of Blinky. I like the chorus. Which is weird. like this felt to me like a Hopper song, and you're telling me that from the launch wrote this car is it's like, oh he can write piece and stuff too. It's not it's not an old timer, but I find this one a thoroughly enjoyable, like emo or blink song. Just solid. I like the verse. It's pleasant. I agree. Again, it's in the higher half of the record for me. Uh yeah, I don't think it's bad. I think it could just be sequenced a little better. Uh let's go to the closer. Let's bring this home, I'm lost without you
4: Like a predisposition against closers that feel like they know they're closers like, and this is one of those songs it feels like they wrote the songs like this is the end of the album <laughs> this is anthemic it, and it's slow a,
0: it's a bit too much I find it really funny that Travis Barker helped write this record and this ends with like a 40 seconds drum solo which feels sort of out of place it needs to be at least 3 um,
3: minutes shorter
0: yes yeah, six, six and, and a half minutes. Matters. It's very long. Oh shit! I was doing other stuff when I was listening to this, especially near the end, so I didn't notice. And yeah, that's yeah. long. Blink shouldn't write songs this long.
4: <laughs> no, and it's again, it feels like, you know, one, you get kind of the you're starting to feel the Angels and Airwaves U two influence coming in, um, which yeah. is a, a a harbinger of bad days to come. Um, And yeah, it just feels really conscious of the fact that it's going to be the end of the album. Like, this is our slow, anthemic, lighters-out song.
0: Yeah, I don't mind that much. Like, a thing that I say a lot on this record, on this podcast is, yeah, I don't love this song, but it works as a closer, so I don't mind when a song does that. But I don't think this does it even particularly good. It's just long and meandering and... It's just, it's it's trying a bit too hard, which is is a theme with this record. Tom
1: goes on at length about this track. He loves how technical it is.
4: Uh, What is is technical about it?
1: I'm just going to quote from a lot. I'm picking and choosing liberally from this, so feel free to claim that I am denying the context, but it is really complex to describe this song because it starts with loopings and all sorts of electronic ambiances. The first and a half minute, there's nothing but piano with my voiceover. And then the song goes in the total opposite way and explodes with 11 different sorts of guitars. Big crazy breaks. There are feedbacks, just like radio heads, and then follows two drums which play different rhythms for three or four minutes. It's a really romantic song. It's a really trance and hypnotic song, so cool to listen to with headphones. There's no better way to appreciate it than sit back and take your time in order to understand all these little things we've done for your ears. Blink-182, just like Radiohead. To hear the 50 or so tracks that were recorded on this song, you need a dim room and a somber mood. As the song ends, two drum sets play off of each other and take you to a different place. As you were the two verses that were recorded separately from each other, one of which was a nineteen sixties effect by singing through a rotating speaker like I'm underwater. The feedback in the middle was a one so was a one take art form of making the guitar sound really tweaked and ugly. I say art form because to make the guitar sound that way, you constantly have to twist and turn like an
4: acrobat on drugs. Huh. Okay. You know, whenever they say Oh, there's fifty instruments on that, I just the fact is that a good thirty of those are just guitar overdubs, right? It's just stacking to make it sound thick. When he's
1: mentioning eleven sorts of guitars, yes,
4: yeah. Like I'm not that impressed. Travis Barker. So has Pumpkins at mu- like three hundred tracks. Come back when you do that. Travis Barker
1: has a much better quote about this. The keyboards in the beginning remind me of Pink Floyd or Failure. I think the choruses are really big, and it's something everyone can relate to. We recorded two drum sets for the outro, one track, and then I played to the click. Then I played till I couldn't stop
4: playing. It was something we wanted to do but couldn't get around to. You know, it's so funny. The intro does have a big failure vibe. I think that's actually pretty on point.
0: Mm-hmm. It just goes in a very different direction. Yeah, I would be more impressed by all this shit if the, if the song sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be more impressed if this song wasn't a piece of shit. <laughs> it's true. And
3: Make it good? Don't forget to put the good
1: in. And it's incredibly ironic on multiple levels that the song is about a lost love and going on without your partner starts off with, I swear that I can go on forever again. I will go down as your lover, your friend. And then they break up.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Talking about, since we're talking about this, let's go to final thoughts.
2: Same song, different chorus.
1: I think this is a good 3.5 to 4-star record. Uh, Probably goes to 3.5 just because of tracks like that closer being such a clunker. If it were a quick one, you could go, well, it's a failed experiment. They had to have one, but six and a half minutes. That's too much. That's too much, boys. Yeah.
0: I I think Max unlocked it for me when uh, she said that... um... This feels like a transitional album without an album to transition into because I feel that unlocked why I feel rating this so difficult. It definitely feels like the most coherent Blink album. Like, they wrote an album here. They tried. I don't know if I ever listen to this voluntarily and, like, if I ever feel like listening to Blink, it would probably be just, like, one of the singles from the previous two records. I don't know if it's good it's a record, but I'm not sure if it's good. I, I think it's uh, commendable that they've tried a lot of different things. I just don't know if it's good. It's one of those records that, again, feels like this weird bit of history that, you know, from what I've heard of what they're doing now, Blink, uh, they'll never go back to. Like, right now they're just doing anima type music. From what I've heard, yeah. So. While
1: I was doing the watching for this, it kept suggesting, "Hey, we did a video two months
0: ago with a new track, and I didn't listen to it. Should I?" No. Okay. No. I mean, unless we're doing it for the podcast, I don't think you should listen to Modern Bling. Even though I like Matt Skiba as a singer, and he left, so not even for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I really like this album.
4: Um, I you know, I don't. I think. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket is probably the best Blink album. I think it's probably, like, objectively a better album. But this is my favorite because it's such a weird thing, and I I have a lot of love for, like, weird half-finished children. Um, And I think the other thing that really appeals to me about it is the the very nuts and bolts of the songwriting. Like, I think there's a lot of mistake, like, or a lot of, like, issues with how the songs are maybe constructed, but the actual, like, chord progressions they go with are so are often fairly antithetical to what pop punk and emo was doing at the time um and closer maybe to like you know what death Cab was doing you, you know not without all the arpeggios but still um in a way that i i just is so uncommon like to this day you know um i'd I just kind of love that. It's so I I listened to this album because I can't think of another album that is like it that I could listen to. Um, whereas like you know, take off your pants and jacket is a better album, but I could also just listen to Nimrod or, or Dookie. Yeah,
0: I can see that. Um, you know. Also, shout out to we haven't talked about much about him this time around. Shout out to Jerry Finn. Because I can't imagine how hard would would have been just having to babysit this, like, 3 men children while they fuck around in the studio. It must be horrid. Yeah.
3: yeah. Especially
1: loaning out a lot of your equipment to them in that final crunch period.
4: Oh, my God, I know. Makes me think of, like, when Andy Gill was producing Red Hot Chili Peppers or John Cale was doing Happy Mondays. Just, like, these very, like, professional people with the absolute... Biggest wastoids on the planet. Uh, Adam, your final thoughts on this?
3: It's an okay album. It's... If I were going to consciously choose to listen to Blink music, I would not be picking this album out of their albums. But it's not terrible. It's just kind of okay.
0: Uh, what are we doing next
1: week, Seven? Next week, we are going to return to, barring any other, uh, small roadblocks. The distillers with coral fang. Oh
4: that's a that good sounds one. Interesting. I have no I have no idea what that is. Uh Brody Dow's pretty problematic, but like that album's good. Oh.
0: Oh yeah, we have a special we have a special um segment on the on the podcast whenever the obligatory shit comes up. <laughs> we call it the obligatory. Um it comes up a
4: lot. Uh, understandably. But yeah, uh, fucking Drain the Blood's a, a
0: great song. So, this was an episode. You can as always find us on our website, com. You can mail us- Oh, we have a mail! Shit! Seville, you were well, supposed to- I was going to, to in the me. ending. I was gonna let you Where? do the- f- Bring up the email. Okay. I don't have it. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can email us both with the form that we have here and with an email address, which I don't remember. So, But I'm bringing it up now, so I can just read it. Um... Shit, we have an email. This is our second email ever. It's like Christmas.
3: We've had more than one email?
0: We've had once an email by a person who sent us money? We've recorded more than 30 episodes, Adam. You just
1: weren't on a lot.
3: You know, that's that's true. That's fair.
1: <laughs> I'm actually going to check because our website does track which hosts have been on which. Da. How have I hosted the most episodes? Oh, right, I did that That's bonus. That's hilarious. I did that bonus
0: on Ska. You did the you did yeah. Ska episode. You're officially the most prominent. Gotta get yeah, out we of have the 88 downloads.
1: episodes, and Adam has been on 56. <laughs>
2: okay. Oh, <laughs>
0: well, uh, shame. But yeah, and you can follow us on Twitter at G-G-O-O-T-T podcast for as long as Twitter lasts. It's dying. We all know that. Anyhow... Um, Axel writes to us, Scrolling through the spreadsheet,
1: I noticed you guys don't have Rise Against on there, despite the fact they were a pretty prominent pop-punk band in the early 2000s and have charted on Billboard before, so I thought you might cover them at some point. You can blame Website yeah. Rate Your Music for that, because that was...
0: No, 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 you, you you can blame me, I believe. Or do you have a better reason for that? Because I think I just missed them. I was going Go to on, say, that's on. the way... So, let me check. Da-da-da. Yeah, but no, thank you. Like, I really thank you via email. Uh, I compiled our spreadsheet completely manually. So shit is bound to flip up. Uh, I'm going to add We them. should
1: add them because I see their point. But this is a rate your music thing. They do not have pop punk tagged on there.
4: Uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. I, I always think of Rise Against as being very, like, alternative press core. Like, they were big on that.
0: Melodic magazine.
1: hardcore, alternative, acoustic, and punk rocks.
0: Then again, you wouldn't believe the things that Rate Your Music tags as pop punk. Right, your Music is, is unreliable. I was really annoyed
4: because um, i never heard of Against Me and when people kept bringing it up, I thought they were talking about Rise Against. And I would get really confused. Like, wait, oh my god, the, 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 the singer from Rise Against is trans? That's Brad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. Unfortunately. Different bands. Different bands. Um. Also, um, uh, the transgender dysphoria blues—the title track from the record—still literally makes me cry every time I listen to it.
1: Still, never listen to that.
0: I, I, it, it's a good song. It's also some of the line hits very hard if you are of transgendered experience. Um, yeah. Anyhow, where were we? Uh, we're ending the episode. Yeah, you can find us on all of the. Thanks again. Axel for uh letting us sorry, right, thanks for listening. We don't well, have many you. listeners, so good good job for being in an exclusive club of people who listen to our thing um and again, yeah, you can find us on all of the podcast thing where if you, if you go on apple music, leave a review uh, apple podcast apple podcast we're on spotify We're wherever uh yeah, this is an episode. do you have anything to plug Sybil?
1: You can find me and my various projects at hellscaper.com or on co-host at dot org slash bustrider.
0: Do you have anything to plug, Adam? I could. Go, go for it.
3: <laughs> All right. I am currently running a pole led choose your choose-your-own-adventure-story, um, which, if you are interested, you can find at scorpiongrassfield.tumblr.com.
0: I, I I voted for the first thing. It, it's great. Read Adam things. Adam writes good. Good, good. right person. Uh, do you have anything to plug, Max?
4: Uh, yeah, I got a couple things. Well, you know, first off, if you want to check out the Kitchfork podcast, that's K-I-T-S-C-H-F-O-R-K. Um, we're on Spotify and Apple Music and Uh We don't really have a Twitter, but Liz is our Twitter account, so... At Ella Guru, if you wanna co- contact the podcast. Uh more or less. That's what we've been doing all the polls on, because she has the bigger Twitter following. Um and I guess uh if you're in Chicago, uh my band Noise is playing a show on the 19th. When is this episode coming out?
0: Uh, in about a month.
4: Uh yeah, we're playing a show at the end of March.
0: Uh, so check us out, Noise Land cool thanks for thanks for joining us and as always you, you can find me on Twitter at ACC the moon or on co-host at actually the moon and we do not have a patreon but if you want to support us please find us some British people so we can do the more mature evolved version of our podcast have a good night everyone
2: I know like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop and Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.